1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'm going to pick up on my series, Highlights from 1 Corinthians. And the title of my message today is The Mind of Christ. We're going to begin to read at verse 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 6. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For... Who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now, as we are picking up various chapters and highlighting principles and teachings from 1 Corinthians, we've noticed the situation that existed in this Corinthian church. They were a bunch of spiritual babies. They were influenced by their society, as Paul says here, by the spirit of the age. And because they were influenced by the spirit of the age, they were immature in Christ. And the immaturity is seen throughout all of the epistle. We find, first of all, that they were spiritually immature in as much as they were full of divisions and factions. Some people think that divisions are kind of the result of spirituality. That, you know, we are more spiritual than you are. You are at a lower level than us. That means we're better than you. So there. What is that? Immaturity. Childishness. They were also engaging in sexual immorality. They were abusing spiritual gifts and the provision of the Holy Communion. We've been celebrating that this morning. But they were using that as as a fleshly occasion. Uh, Some of them were even getting drunk at the communion service because in those days, unlike in our church, uh, there was alcohol. 
in the communion wine, we make sure that not a drop of alcohol touches the sacred lips of the assembled congregation. But there were so many things and that they were struggling with. And a lot of this was due to the fact that the world, the spirit of their world, of their generation, of that time and that place was influencing them. And they had not sufficiently broken free in the spirit of God and through the word of God to have their own independent approach to things. Not their own personal opinion, but being set free from the opinions of the world and to marry themselves and align themselves with the mind of Christ. And the Apostle Paul has to remind them, say, you have the mind of Christ, so use it. You have revelation, so live in it. And you have discernment, so exercise it. And so I think in all those ways, it's a really relevant epistle for us today. Because we're finding today in Christian churches that more and more worldly thinking is increasingly uh, staying with the minds of believers. And we need to know how rightfully to break free from that so we can be what he has called us to be, which is a light and a witness. Not arrogance, not superiority, but a real blessing to those around us because God has revealed the mind of Christ to his people. And so the spiritual immaturity that Paul is addressing is the immaturity which is married to the spirit of the age. And when Paul came to preach the gospel to them, he said from the very beginning, I want you to know that your faith rests in the power of God, not in human wisdom. I don't know what persuaded you to become a Christian. And um, I'm quite sure that if we had time to testify today, there'd be many, many reasons. Some people might have come to Christ in a time of difficulty. Others might have come to Christ at a time of blessing in their lives. Sometimes people were, had, were so impressed by the witness of a believer that they said there must be something in it. Sometimes people come to Christ for uh, intellectual reasons. It does happen. Uh, I've been hearing about many people who are now defending the faith in Christian apologetics, in public arena, debates, and so on. And many of these people say, well, before I examined the evidence, I was an atheist. Or I was the member of another religion. But when I actually examined the evidence, I found that, that the Christian faith is the reasonable faith. In other words, it's the faith that enables us to make the most sense of our world and of our universe. It's the most direct faith that speaks about the revelation of God himself. In the 2.30 service, the very ambitious topic, understanding the incarnation, the God-man, is, a, a, is one of the unique features of our faith as Christians. See, our God is not so distant and irrelevant that he could not himself take a place amongst us as a man at a certain point of history and work out a salvation which is historically verifiable through the death and the resurrection of Jesus on the cross. These are historical facts, historical events, and they are charged with divine meaning. And as we shall see, the cross of Christ with the resurrection is the very wisdom of God, the means by which he reveals himself into this world. 
So we covered that last time. Paul says, I didn't come using persuasive words of human wisdom, but I proclaimed the testimony of God and the demonstration of the Holy Spirit so that your faith would rest not in the wisdom of man, but the power of God. Make sure that your faith rests in the power of God. Make sure you know why you believe, and that is because God has touched your life and God has changed you. God has intervened in the natural course of events in your life, which if he had not intervened would have meant you would have never come to know him. You know him because he's shown himself to you. You know him because he's changed you miraculously, supernaturally. And because of that, we don't need to back down to anybody. We can stand upon the testimony of Christ and the revelation of the Spirit in our lives. That's how we begin. But the Apostle Paul said, do you know that's how I brought you to faith in Christ? That's how I proclaimed Christ. But you know, he said, I gave you the ABCs, but I want to take you through the rest of the alphabet. But I can't because you're so immature. Have a look at this in uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 3. He said, I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people. Imagine that. He says, I couldn't address you As spiritual people, what an indictment. Can the Holy Spirit address you as a spiritual person? What does that mean? It means that you are focused on the Holy Spirit's revelation in your life. It means that you are so sure that God has saved you, so clear and open to the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, that people can speak to you as spiritual people. You're not reasoning According to the natural, fleshly, worldly reason, you understand that truth is not an ideology. Truth is not even a doctrine. Truth is a person, and his name is Jesus, and you fellowship with him by the Holy Spirit. And you also know that truth is not an opinion poll. So what if the worldly system believes something different? You'd expect those who live in the spiritual darkness would be, have their own opinion. And even if it's the majority opinion, you see, it's not an election as to what truth is. God is truth. God's word is truth. God's spirit is the spirit of truth. Are you latched onto the right spirit today? Are you getting your understanding of life and living from the uh, popular paperbacks that you find in the bookshops and all the self-help books, and all the pooling of, of corporate ignorance that goes on with so many discussion and television shows where people are not taking their cue from the Word of God, where people are not open to who Jesus Christ is and try to manage on themselves. This kind of worldly thinking gets this nation into the mess it's in with its confused morality, with its turning its back upon the Judeo-Christian heritage of the revelation of God in the Old Testament and the New Testament and the coming of Jesus Christ, which is the fulcrum of history and the only means by which we can be saved. We need to stand up for this, but we need ourselves also to grow in it. So he says, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, even right to this point, he says, you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. My evidence? For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, 
Are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? You know, I saw a bumper sticker that read, you are only young once, but you can be immature for the whole of your life. How true that is. Some people think that spiritual maturity is how many years you've been in Christ. How long have you been saved? I've been saved for three years. Really? I've been saved for 23 years. Well, I'll tell you something. You can be as immature today as the day you were saved if you have not grown as a believer and grown in your faith. How do you grow in your faith? Jesus said to him who much has been given... Much will be required, but also to the one who has, more will be given. So, when God speaks to you, what is required of you? To respond. That's why every service that you come to is a dangerous occasion. Because it gives you the capacity to be a hearer only, and not a doer. The most important part of the sermon is... What happens when it's finished? Amen? In other words, you say, God, what are you saying to me today? And it might just be one thing. Preachers try to preach many things because there are many different needs. But you might walk away today with one thing that the Holy Spirit is showing you to do. Then do it and then he will give you more. But if you don't do it, actually you'll soon stay And continue to stay in spiritual immaturity. And so how is it that they were were so spiritually immature? They were holding on to worldly wisdom. There's a story of a dean in a Bible college. Now where is Dean Gabriel? Where's Dean Gabriel? Dean Gabriel, you're shaking your head. He knew this was coming up. So he's hidden himself. The dean of a theological college. And this was a faculty meeting. And they were doing a kind of review. And in the faculty meeting, one faculty member after another kept saying, Dean, we've never had such a wonderful dean. You're such a godly man, such a humble man, such a learned man. It's so wonderful. And everybody was praising him, praising him so much until an angel finally showed up and said, what's this I'm hearing? I have to come down and check it out. What you're saying about this man, is it really true? Oh yes, angel, it's very, very true. He's everything we've said. So the angel said, well, I better see what I can do now. I better reward him. So he said, Dean, I'm going to give you a choice. I'm going to give you a choice of three things. You can only choose one, but whatever you choose will be yours. First of all, the choice is superlative wealth. Mm. Second choice, superlative wisdom. And the third choice, well, superlative good looks. So the dean thought for a moment and then very courageously said, Angel, I want the gift of superlative wisdom. And the angel imparted it. And then the angel disappeared. All was silent. Every eye was fixed on the dean, waiting for the first pearl of wisdom that would pour forth from his mouth. So finally, somebody nudged him and said, say something. And the dean said, I should have chosen the money. (laughs) It's interesting, isn't it? That uh, when it really comes down to it, often 
the wisdom that we choose for our lives is very similar to the wisdom of this world. And that's what will keep us in immaturity. So what do we do about it? I want to show you three things from this passage that shows how to break this mold over your life. Because the spirit of this age is rather like a mold trying to constantly squeeze you into conformity. What to me is so interesting is that the people of the world think we're the ones in bondage. They have religious freedom, meaning freedom from religion. And uh, they are free thinkers, but they're not really free in their thinking. They all say the same thing and are controlled by dark spiritual forces that occupy their minds and, and dictate every single thing about them. It's so predictable what the philosophies of this age will say. Whatever they are, whatever ideology, whatever philosophy, you can be absolutely sure that the person of Jesus Christ is rejected or certainly off-center. You can can predict exactly what they're going to say, but we need to break free from the wisdom of this age. How do we do it? First of all, the Apostle Paul speaks about the discernment of the Spirit. The discernment of the Spirit. I wonder if you noticed it when we read Spiritual truths are spiritually discerned. And this is true in every, in every area. I mean, if you want to find out about science, you go to a scientist. If you want to find out about business, you go to a, a business person. If you want to find out about the things of the spirit, who do you go to? A scientist? Or a business person? Now, they, they may have wisdom, If they have surrendered to the Holy Spirit, there are many scientists who are Bible-believing and Spirit-filled. There are many business people, likewise, but it's not because they are business people or scientists that they know about the Spirit. If they know about the Spirit, it's because they have opened their lives to receive the testimony of Jesus and continue to yield their lives to the ongoing revelation of the Holy Spirit. So spiritual truths are spiritually discerned, which is also to say that the natural mind, the natural man, the natural mind does not receive the things of the Spirit. They are foolishness to him. Now isn't that true? So many of the things which are most unique and distinctive about the Christian faith are the things that people find the most foolish. The idea... That the eternal God could come into this world and live as a man where he needed to eat, sleep, and was able to die. They say that's impossible. How can the eternal God, the God who is life, how can the immortal God limit himself in such a way and yet remain God? It's utter foolishness and yet it's actually a very simple concept. It's a very simple concept. If God is who he is, he can do anything. And anyway, nobody teaches that it's the Father who came down, but the Son who came down. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. One being, God, who is eternal and indivisible. One being, eternally expressed in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. See, as far as you and I are concerned, we can't do that. Our being and person are joined. I, I, am, I am, therefore I'm, I have a being, I'm being. Colin Dye is one person. 
And at a natural human level, that's understandable. We can't be in two places at once. Those are the natural limitations of, of the human expression. However, God is infinitely above us. The one being God exists eternally in three persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God the Father, fully God. God the Son, fully God. God the Holy Spirit, fully God. So when you look at this uh, a little bit more carefully, you discover that it's not such an amazing concept after all because we can't limit God to our own human experience. And it's not just some kind of mystery we can't understand. We can lay hold of it very, very easily. So don't let anybody trick you and say the Trinity is too confusing to understand. It is not too confusing to understand. It's a very simple, straightforward doctrine that arises out of the experience of men and women of the book, the Old Testament and the New Testament, and we can lay hold of it. But to the natural mind, it's foolishness. How about the cross of Jesus to the natural mind? What happened 2,000 years ago on the cross to some obscure Galilean rabbi? What has that possibly got to do with me 2,000 years later? To the natural mind, they don't understand it. And to the people of the world, it's the cross which is the big stumbling block. To people who believe that Jesus is a good man and a prophet, how could God let it happen? Good Friday is bad Friday as far as they're concerned. No way would that happen. If Jesus was who he said he was, a good man, how could God let a bad thing happen to such a good person? So they reject it, but it's their human wisdom that is at work here. But when we understand that he who knew no sin, was made sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. When you start thinking with the mind of Christ, you recognize not only is the cross of Jesus Christ reasonable, it is in fact the only way by which we can be saved because no other atonement, no other sacrifice for sin could be sufficient to wipe away the sins of the world, at least to everyone who believes. And so when you actually look at these things from a human fleshly point of view, it's foolishness to you. But when you receive it by the Spirit of God and understand that there's a reasoning here which is a higher level of reasoning than the human mind uh, can do and can produce by itself, not that the Christian faith is unreasonable, but it could never have been invented or imagined by human beings, which is one of the most knockdown proves concerning the revelation of God's book. It contains doctrines which are not possible in terms of human intellect. The human people could never have made this up. It has to be God and it is indeed God. But that will not convince anyone today that is not open to the working of the Holy Spirit who will bring revelation and persuasion in your life. And so spiritual truth is spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14 says, But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God. They are foolishness to him, nor can he know them. For they are spiritually discerned. Without the Holy Spirit, you will never lay hold of the revelation of God. That's why we're so grateful that Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit into the world so that if anyone is inquiring, if anyone is open and says, God, show me, then the Holy Spirit will show them and will lead them. 1 Corinthians 2 verse 12 says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God 
that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. It's so wonderful. God has given to us so many wonderful things. If he's given us Christ, then in Christ he's given us everything. Because in Christ all the riches of God are found. Or if God would not withhold his only son, how shall he not also along with him freely, graciously give us all things? So how do we receive it? How do we understand it? By the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit reveals the things that God has given to us. That's why it is absolutely essential to be born again of the Holy Spirit. Being born again is not about religious rituals. It's not even about intellectually assenting to various doctrinal or creedal statements. Every day, on every Sunday all over Britain, and this is not to be critical, it's just a fact. There are people who will be reciting the Apostles' Creed and yet be no more born again than a dormouse. It is easy to speak stuff that is not necessarily a spiritual reality in your life. Even the prophet Isaiah prophesied and said, this people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. No, being born again is not about necessarily initially a religious adherence. It's about having an encounter with the living God through the Holy Spirit in which you recognize that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the son of the living God and that he died on the cross to save you. It means receiving a new heart, a new spirit, and a capacity to begin to reason, not with the fleshly reasoning of the human mind, but the reasoning of the Holy Spirit. And this is not some kind of mystical thing that has no relation to the normal cognitive functionings of the human mind. I think it's important that when we stress thinking according to the Spirit, we are not kissing our individual brains goodbye. I'll tell you something about the Christian revelation. There is so much to stretch your mind and to stretch your imagination. It is not a lazy way to live for God. And evangelical and charismatic Christians, we have to show the world that we can think and use what God has given to us so that we are not lazy and just say, well, I don't understand it. I don't even really know what, it believe, what I believe. It's, it's in the Bible somewhere. No, no, no. People of God, we need to use this that God has given to us because there are people out there who need to have a reason for the faith and the hope that is within us. We need to be intelligent in our approach to the things of God. But that intelligence is not worldly wisdom and worldly intelligence that says, the first intelligent thing I'm going to do is to take God out of the picture. No, no, no. That's the most foolish thing you could do that's your first mistake when you take God out of the picture but when you start to reason with the reasoning of the Holy Spirit and seek to understand the depths of the revelation of God not just intellectually but through your mind through your emotions through your will and most important of all through your spirit as it connects with the Holy Spirit so that you can be a spiritually discerning person amen and amen the discerning of the Spirit. That's the first thing. The second thing 
is, of course, through the cross of Jesus. The wisdom of the cross. The cross is the greatest expression of the wisdom of God. Who would have thought of it? The very opposite of human worldly wisdom. Because Jesus didn't just claim to have died as a martyr to a cause. There are people who have been the progressive forerunners of many movements, both religious and political, and, and they died in, for the sake of their beliefs. That's not unique. But what is unique is that the leader himself says, no one takes my life from me. I lay it down for this purpose that I come into the world. This is how, why I came. I have a death to accomplish. And on, in that death, the world may look upon it as if I have been rejected and that I'm a failure and that I failed in my mission. The world needs to discover by the Holy Spirit that this was my very mission. That I should come into this world to be the redeemer of humanity. That I should be the sacrifice for the sins of the world. It was God's purpose from the very beginning that Jesus should come and die. Good Friday is Good Friday. Hallelujah. It's where God's wisdom is known more than any other place. When Jesus was crucified, people thought it was all over. And I'm pretty sure if I, we step behind the scenes and see how the, Satan himself instigated and drove that decision, whether it was through the Romans or through the Jewish authorities of that time, it was the enemy who had entered Judas Iscariot to, to betray Jesus. And, uh, and, and it was this crucifixion of Jesus is the most wicked event that has ever taken in the history of humanity. That God's only son would come and be available for everybody and teach love and teach truth and speak about the kingdom of God and demonstrate the kingdom of God through the signs and wonders and miracles leaving people in no doubt at all that this man is from God and everything that he claims to be he is and yet what did we I'm talking about humanity what did we do we handed him over to wicked people and crucified him on the cross that is the worst sin of all history, that we should reject and crucify God's only son on the cross. The worst thing that ever happened is also the best thing that ever happened. It was God's plan from the beginning that a savior would come and that he would give his life as a sacrifice for sins. And so what men meant for evil, God intended for good. When the devil did his worst, God did his best. That's, that's the wisdom of the cross. That's the wisdom of the cross. And Paul says, if they'd understood it, they'd never have crucified him. Verse 8, which none of the rulers of this age knew, for had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. If they'd understood, if the devil understood that the very thing that he thought was going to bring an end to the mission of Jesus was exactly the thing that was going to destroy his own kingdom, the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of Satan. If he knew that he was hammering nails into his own coffin, he would not have allowed Jesus to be crucified. 
If the principalities and powers knew that the death of Jesus on the cross was the very thing that was going to tear them down from their place of arrogance in the spiritual realm and bring judgment upon their own personalities. If they'd known that, they'd never have done it. And I dare say also, if the earthly rulers had understood they would have accepted Christ's mission rather than rejecting it. But all these things, God was working so the cross of Christ would be the touchstone of divine wisdom and power. And that's why you and I grow by the cross. That's why you and I by the cross are victorious in all circumstances. And that we're more than conquerors. That's how through the cross we defeat and destroy all the works of the evil one in our own lives. That's why through the cross we overcome sin. We live in triumph and live in triumph over adversity and stand strong in the power of the enemy through the cross. See, you and I live by the cross when we carry the cross and turn our back upon the world with all its wisdom, with all its worldly power and all its worldly glory. No, it's the cross which brings the wisdom of God into all of humanity, into the very universe itself and also personally in our own lives. That's why in this church, above everything else, we teach you to be is disciples of Jesus Christ. Take up your cross, die to yourself, and follow Christ. Because the moment you die to yourself, you cut yourself free from all the things that were holding you back. Worldly thinking, worldly understanding, worldly opinions. And say, no, I measure my life by the one who died for me and the one who saved me. The wisdom of the cross of Jesus Christ. So we've seen the discerning of the Holy Spirit gives us spiritual understanding. And because the Spirit gives us spiritual understanding, we can discern all things and judge. That's the word, judge, discern all things. But we are judged by no one. We are judged by no one. Because if people judge who we are and what we stand for, they're not judging us, they're judging God. And who has known the mind of the Lord that they may counsel him? Some of these people who, who make up godless laws. Some of these people who lay down godless philosophies and opinions of men that hold people in bondage for generations. Some of those people are disagreeing with God and saying, Almighty God, you know nothing. This world was in darkness until I came here. Oh, no, no. We've got it the wrong way around. And the Bible says the rulers of this age will come to nothing because the word of the Lord endures forever. Amen and amen. Then we see how we overcome the spirit of the age and break free from perpetual childishness and immaturity and move on to the maturity and wisdom in Christ. We do it, thirdly, by the scriptures which have been inspired by the Spirit of God. That's what is behind this. Apostle Paul, you see, in verse 9, he's building up a very, very strong argument here for the revelation that God has given him. I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. That is a quotation from the Old Testament. And Paul says, I has not seen this. What I'm about to tell you and what I stand for, what I preach to you, hasn't come 
through human observation. Ear has not heard. This hasn't come through human interpretation or human declaration. No, no, no. This isn't by human eye, but by the revelation of the Spirit. This isn't by human hearing, but, but by the hearing of the Word of God. Then he says, neither has it entered into the heart of man. And the Bible teaches that the human heart is a very deep thing. It is unknowable in a way. Unknowable, it, the prof profoundness of the human heart, the depths of the human personality. You asked psychologists and nobody has been able to plumb the depth of the human personality. We know that. But the Apostle Paul says you can go as deep as you possibly can into every corner, every nook and cranny of the human interior personality and you will not find one thing that will give you the revelation that I'm speaking to you about. So he says it's not about human observation. In order to arrive at conclusions concerning the nature of God and how he works in our lives. It's not about human teaching. It's not even about human imagination and thinking and reflection, as important as all these things are in their proper place. Paul says, no, no, no. This is about the things that God has prepared for those who love him. See, truth is about a relationship. It's a love relationship. And if you are connected to Christ by the Holy Spirit, you are a candidate for revelation. And when you grasp that revelation and discern it by the Holy Spirit and focus it upon the cross of Jesus Christ, you are a candidate for even more revelation. That's what the Christian life is about. It is walking in the light of the knowledge of the revelation of God in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what takes you on to maturity. People of God, lay aside baby thinking. Lay aside immaturity. Say, I'm going to advance in the things of God. I'm going to open my spirit to the very best that God has for me, I will not be a traditional Sunday going Christian. I'll be on fire for Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. And the only qualification is that you love God, that you love Jesus. But the Apostle Paul says, This which was hidden to human understanding and observation and reasoning, the Spirit has revealed. See verse 10. I has not seen and so on, but God has revealed them to us through his spirit. Now what is he talking about particularly? In this context, we discover that Paul is talking about the New Testament revelation of which the Apostle Paul was its chief proponent. In other words, about two-thirds of the New Testament is what God gave to Paul by revelation. And all of the New Testament is what God gave to his apostles who spoke with infallible authority and recorded the word of God in such a way as it was fully inspired by the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen. Let's read on to see what he's talking about here. You know when it says that eye has not seen but the Spirit has revealed, we need to drop to verse 13. He says, these things we also speak. In other words, the revelation that God has given to us by His Spirit. We speak these things. The we here is the apostolic we. 
those of the early church that God set aside to bring the revelation of God in Christ. The God who had spoken in so many different ways to our fathers, the prophets, in, in little packets here, little packets there, in different ways, at different times, in different seasons. That God has spoken fully, finally, and definitively in His Son, which is the revelation of God as we see in the New Testament. Hallelujah. So these things we also speak. Now listen to this. Not in words that man's wisdom teaches. Some people think that the writers of Scripture, they had a revelation from God and they sought to express it in the best way they could, in their own words. But here, this verse says it didn't happen that way. When they sought to express what God was saying, they didn't use their own wisdom or understanding. Second part of the verse, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. The NIV has it very clear. Words given by the Holy Spirit, spiritual truths expressed in spiritual words. In other words, God's word in the Old Testament and the New Testament is God's word through human agents that were so directed by the Holy Spirit that the words that they spoke and the words that they gave were words given by the Holy Spirit. All scripture is God-breathed. The Bible says, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, all scripture is God-breathed, just as I am breathing now in order to speak. The words of my mouth are coming by the breath of my lips, so the heavens were created by the word of the Lord, their starry host by the breath of his lips. Psalm 33 and verse 6. How wonderful to know that when we turn to the New Testament, we don't have guesswork. We have revelation, a sure and certain word of prophecy that is not for private interpretation, but it is there for us to think about and to meditate on and ask God to speak to us from so that we can submit to this word and this word will educate our minds. This word will educate us about how to bring up our families. This word will show us how to live in this world. This word will direct us, this word will direct us in every part of our lives because the scripture is useful and profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting and training in righteousness so that we will be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Which means, where do we take our truth from? Where do we get our ideas from? Do we switch on the television and watch Question Time? Which when it comes to spiritual and moral issues is the biggest pooling of ignorance in our weekly television shows. Unless we are educated by the Spirit of God, unless our minds are enlightened by the Word of God, we will not arrive at the conclusions which are valid in our life and living. So I'm saying, people of God, do not let the thinking of this world interfere with who you are, what you believe, and how you live. Don't be like that, that dean of, uh, of the Bible college, the theological college, who said the right thing, but deeply wished he'd said something else. God's Word is sure. God's word is certain 
And if we are going to deal with the spirit of the age that infiltrates the church of Jesus Christ and starts causing us to doubt the pure and certain word of prophecy, we need to get back to spiritual discernment. And sincerity is not a test. One of the tragic things that some of the most sincere people genuinely sincere, not setting out to be deceivers. The most sincere people are sometimes the most sincerely wrong. Sincerity is not a test of truth, but spiritual discernment gives you the ability to judge. So when people want to make laws and pass laws in the parliament or want to cause churches to be intimidated because of their beliefs about who God is, who Jesus is, how it is to live in sexuality, how it is that God calls us to live in families and conduct our businesses and even deal with international relations. We allow the word of God to give us discernment to see whether government policies are right or wrong. Do they conform to the word of God or at least in the form of the word of God that is applicable to ordinary lives? I don't expect the Prime Minister, to govern the nation the way we govern Kensington Temple? We are believers. The nation needs Christ. Amen. But on the other hand, I expect our government to uphold godly and biblical standards in all things, and we are prophetically to hold the government to account. We are prophetically to hold society to account to the moral teachings of the spiritual revelation of the Word of God. Go ahead, give Jesus praise if that's what you want to do. But there is something almost even more important than that. God has not just called us to influence public opinion and public policy. God has called us to witness to Jesus Christ, to be salt as well as light in this world. And if we can't shine with the brilliance of the revelation of God, if our lamp is dimmed because it is polluted by the false understandings of our society, we need to deal with that in the mind. We need to say, no, I reject the current basis for sexual morality in our generation. Yet I'm going to reject the current basis for understanding and laying hold of truth of what is right and wrong and good and pure. I'm going to take my standard from the word of God and I'm going to show it to them how, by how I live. So they look at you and say, how is it that you can be so gracious when you're being opposed in your viewpoint? How is it that you're not threatened when the whole of the world appears to want to press you into its mold and accuse you? And sometimes even persecute you. Say, well, look, it's not because it's not about me. These are not my opinions. The Bible says all flesh is as grass. The flower fades. The grass withers. And it all fades away. But the word of God endures forever. We stand on the eternal truth of the word of God. Amen and amen. So in conclusion, I want to summarize and saying, people of God, let's embrace the cross. If there is a choice about what you should do, go, go the way of the cross. The way of cross, of self-humbling. Way of cross, of not trying to assert your rights and your opinion. But let Christ shine through you because you see the cross without the resurrection would have been a defeat. But the cross is not without the resurrection. He who died 
also rose again. And when you take that cross and let it cut to the flesh of your life, what is resurrected within you in newness and power is the life of Christ in you. Immerse yourself in the scriptures. If what I said, if you believe it, then live it. No day is complete without profound interaction with the word of God. And here in Kensington Temple, you are spoiled. You are like a child in a sweet shop. You don't know which place to turn next because there are so many good things. Every few weeks we start new teaching programs on the Wednesday and Thursday evenings. The five o'clock teaching service is amazing for the full-on topics and sometimes controversial issues that we lay hold of and seek to interact with. The Bible school training that we give you, every person in Kensington, we give up at least one year to go to our IBIOL. Amen and amen. And there's all the books that we write, the teaching service, so much for you to lay hold of. Do not waste this opportunity. Take as much as you can. Enjoy it and live it and immerse yourself in the scripture because the time will come when you'll be glad you did You say, now I know how to give a good answer to a Muslim who says, your Bible has been corrupted. You'll know how to give a good answer to an atheist who says, no, this world just happened. It didn't come in through creation power or any other confusion in life and living. You will be so glad that you did because you have a reason from the scriptures, not only what you should believe, how it works, but also why it is true. And then finally, get to know Jesus Christ through the revelation of the Holy Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can take the veil from your eyes and you walk in the revelation of who he is and what he came to do. And this isn't just an intellectual thing. This is a daily personal thing. Walk with him, talk with him, fellowship with him, get to know him, yield to him and say, Jesus, you're my Lord and you're my Savior. I will follow you with my back to the world that I might advance and mature in the things of the kingdom of God. Amen and amen. Amen. Let's give Jesus a very big praise. Amen and amen.